This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. In October of 2021, Pope Francis announced an upcoming meeting of Roman Catholic leaders and laypeople called the Synod on Synodality. What is it? What authority will it have? It's coming up pretty soon. And what topics will be under discussion? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. This Synod on Synodality, some are calling it a shadow Vatican III. What is it, and why are people making that assessment of it? And what's happened to the news coverage that offers clues about what may be ahead? Yeah, it's going to come out in a trickle and then hit a flood stage as this thing actually hits us this coming October. And October will be the first of the two synods. And I think the last time I read, the Pope was saying they would be, it would meet two years, one year apart, two sessions, 12 months apart, so that there would be a chance for the contents of the first synod to kind of marinate in the church in the meantime. I think what makes this whole thing so fascinating is that nobody really knows what this is. In other words, if they had announced a Vatican Council, an actual doctrine-generating Third Vatican Council, that would just be absolutely huge. The fact that instead they've announced something that nobody really knows what it is and what it can generate, that's utterly fascinating. And for traditional Catholics, I would say right now, it's terrifying. And I think our listeners should think of it in three terms. One, does this synod actually have the power to change Catholic doctrine. Now, they would say even that the Vatican Council didn't have the power to change doctrine, but it clearly illustrated and explained and added new texts that needed to be interpreted as doctrinal statements. So it did all of those things. The other word you'll hear used is discipline. You'll hear people talking about the synod and saying, well, is it going to change the doctrine of the church, or is it only going to change the discipline? And the third thing is you also hear people, the kind of folks who worry about Jesuits being in charge of all this, say that instead of attempting to change the doctrine, it's just going to change kind of the guidelines. That sounds more like Pirates of the Caribbean. It's more like guidelines for how 
priests relate to their people? And can they do things such as kind of shadow? I mean, right now we have churches doing blessings, Catholic churches doing a form of blessing for gay marriages, except they're saying it's not for the marriage. It's just a blessing for the relationship between the two people, or it's a blessing on both of the people, and they just happen to be standing side by side. And some people would say, that's doctrinal. Other people would say, no, it's not. We haven't created a marriage right. We haven't changed the theology. It's just a form of pastoral care. So people need to be listening for those three terms. Let me give you an example of this. There was an article a couple of months ago, an interview with Cardinal Petro Perelin. I don't, I'm probably butchering that pronouncement. I'll just call him the Cardinal after that. Anyway, this commentary opened by saying, in an interview posted today, this man expressed opposition to the German bishop's decision to offer blessings for same-sex unions. So far, so good. The reasons that the Vatican Secretary of State gave for that opposition are troubling. Cardinal Perelin said that the German Episcopal Conference, quote, cannot make such a decision that involves the discipline of the universal church, unquote. <laughs> the commentator, this is at the catholicculture.org website, notes, well, first of all, the Germans made that decision. They actually made that decision and proclaimed it. They voted 38 to 9 in favor of their synodal path process, stating blessing ceremonies for couples who love each other, unquote. But here's the deal. Is changing something as foundational as the catechism stance on homosexual behavior or on the definition of marriage? Is that discipline, which is what the Cardinal said, or is it actually doctrine? So you can kind of hear why people would be nervous going into this, and I think our listeners should write those three terms down just kind of for future reference. When they're reading the tsunami of coverage that's coming on this thing, look for the words doctrine as opposed to the word discipline, and then also look to references for just this is just a, a pastoral matter, P-A-S-T-O-R-L. It's just how priests handle pastoral challenges in their daily work. So look for those things. There has been a story, what made me, got me thinking about this again, and me just the word synod on synodality turns into such a, a bizarre thing to try to get that out of your head once you start saying it. The folks at Religion News Service just came out with an update on the process and the documents that are being created that will guide the first session of the Senate. And these documents are taking, this is a huge operation. The bishops in like every Catholic country in the world are supposed to be holding their own synodal meetings, hearing feedback from their people and inviting people. And I, and I wrote a column not that long ago that noted that the graphic for this whole process is a painting, and the painting includes women dressed in what appear to be priest garments, and it also includes like a rainbow flag and other symbols of things that are currently 
Well, is that an endorsement? Is that just saying this is what our people are talking about? Another thing that makes people worry. Anyway, this RNS story, I think it would just help if I just read a little bit about it. And the Vatican released a document on Tuesday outlining the topics they will take up and noted that LGBTQ plus inclusion is included in the document to be discussed. And also the ordination of women will be discussed. And that lay Catholics say these are among the most urgent questions facing. Now, listen to this next part carefully. The ambitious project spurred in part by Francis's vision of more lay involvement and in part by a questioning that has grown out of the clergy's sexual abuse crisis has heightened tensions between conservatives and progressive factions in the church. But at this press conference, we have this crucial quote. We have no agenda. There was no conspiratorial meeting among cardinals about how we can add progressive points to the church, said Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, the Relator General of the Senate. Now, that's a fancy term for basically the man who's running the process to synthesize all of these documents coming from around the world into the papers that the Vatican Global Synod will discuss. Now, the minute I read that, I went, wait a minute. Is RNS going to explain who Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich is? Are they just going to let that rest? Now, you go down further into this piece, and it talks a little bit about that some of the, you know, the German synodal path has done some things that are radical. And Hollerich, who's from Luxembourg, says, without judging the colleagues in Germany, the two experiments are very, very different. We are more for harmony. Okay, well, there's a mention of the problems in Germany. Now, what's fascinating to me is the RNS story never pauses for a moment and tells us who Holerich, Cardinal Holerich is, statements he's actually made in now, listen to the following. This is from a column that I wrote in February of 2022. And listen to these statements and see if you think they're relevant to the RNS story. The church's positions on homosexual relations as sinful are wrong, said Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich of Luxembourg in a recent interview with a German news agency. I believe that the sociological and scientific foundation of this doctrine is no longer correct. It is time for a fundamental revision of church teaching and the way in which Pope Francis has spoken of homosexuality could lead to a change in doctrine. That's all a direct quote from a radio interview. I believe it's radio. It's a news agency in Germany. He goes on to say, in our archdiocese in Luxembourg, no one is fired for being homosexual or divorced or remarried. Notice two other big issues there. I can't toss them out. They would become unemployed, and how can such a thing be Christian? As for a homosexual priest, there are many of these, and it would be good if they could talk about this with their bishop without his condemning them. There's more in that column, but the big statement here is the church's positions on homosexual relationships as sinful, not wrong in government or law, as sinful are wrong. Then again, it's time for a fundamental revision of church teaching and the way in which Pope Francis has spoken of homosexuality 
could lead to a change in doctrine. Um, does that strike you as relevant material to the fact that this guy is leading the synod on synodality, all the documents going into it, and he's promising that it won't be radical and that it will all be about unity and working together as opposed to what his own nation and Germany have done. It's not just relevant, it's it's integral to understanding I mean, his position in the story. Yeah, you, you can't tell the players without a program. When he came out with those statements, of course, conservatives said, he's got to be dropped. They have to get him out of this position, controlling the documents that are going into the Senate of Bishops, the Senate on Synodality. Well, he was not dropped. We had some statements from the Pope in which the Pope had some kind of nasty things to say about Germany. The Pope said the German experience does not help, he told the Associated Press, explaining that the dialogue should involve all the people of God. And he basically called the German version of the Synod elitist and unhelpful. But did he discipline any of the bishops that have begun allowing the blessing of homosexual unions or relationships? Or has he just kind of allowed them to put that on the back burner and the bishops will simply not discipline their priests who go on and take that stand? Whereas what is the relationship between the German synodal way and the Vatican synodal way if one of the participants in the European Synod, a cardinal who I should mention now, many on the left are mentioning as a potential strong candidate to be the next pope, that's Cardinal Holerich, isn't it relevant what the man has himself said and specifically said that what's going on right now could lead, under the leadership of Francis, to a change in church doctrine? There was just this huge hole in that story, and I thought, if this is the kind of coverage we're going to get in the mainstream press between now and October, when this thing opens, if we're going to continue to see this thing were conservative publications, and specifically Catholic publications, cover the actual facts related to these discussions and to some of the participants, while the mainstream press ignores this kind of information, what are readers, what are Catholic readers supposed to do when people ask them about what's going on with this thing? I mean, how will priests explain it? I guess the big question here is, what's going on? So Terry, you posed the rhetorical question, kind of the reader's question, what's going on before the break? How do we find that out? What kind of questions do reporters need to be asking now and going into this big meeting to discover what the plan is? Yeah, let me read two more paragraphs from this new piece by Religion News Service. The plenary assembly of the Synod will focus on the structural and ecclesial organization on the church and the need to promote diversity and unity. The latter will involve examining church attitudes and policies about LGBTQ Catholics, 
the issue of female ordination to the diaconate and welcoming divorced and remarried couples as well as polygamous relationships. I assume that last part is, is a reference to how the church operates in certain cultures in Africa, for example. But here's the key. The Instrumentum Laboris, which is the document that they were rolling out here, which is one of the first guideline documents for the Synod on Synodality. The Instrumentum Laboris proposes questions such as, how can we create spaces where those who feel hurt by the church and unwelcomed by the community feel recognized, received, free to ask questions, and not judged, unquote. And, quote, what concrete steps are needed to welcome those who feel excluded from the church because of their status or sexuality, unquote. Now, that's actually from the document. What is this synod about? Now, we can rest assured there's a lot more in that document. This is clearly what Religion News Service considers to be newsworthy topics. And, you know, we live in an era when the mainstream press views everything through the lens of sexuality and identity, personal identity. With that in mind, I've come up with a couple of questions I think that readers need to be asking. I think we really need to watch to see if Francis has done anything about the actions in places like Germany and Luxembourg. Did did he behind the scenes actually privately endorse what they did? You know, he, he criticized it in press comments, but what did he do behind the scenes? Will anybody try to find that out? Did he make any efforts to shut down the implementation of these decisions by the bishops in Germany, Luxembourg, whatever. Cynics would say, did he tell them, look, stop sending out press releases about what you've done. Not now. We'll deal with this at the Synod on Synodality. Now, what did the Pope actually do? It's kind of hard to crack the Vatican except that the Vatican leaks like a sieve when it wants to. You could make a case right now that the Vatican left, the Catholic left, has no reason to talk to anybody about these things on the record. But that still doesn't mean that the media shouldn't be asking these kinds of questions. You could say that what the Pope has done based on the facts available to us is he has said bad things about Germany, but made no public effort to discipline them. And then he's also kind of, some would say, wink, wink. He has left Holerich, Cardinal Holerich, in charge of the whole process. The second thing that I think reporters should work on is if this thing is being dominated by the first world, you know, Europe, America, whatever, a, what's happening to the voices of Catholics in the global south, but also, for example, what is the status of the church in Germany? I mean, if this is a, and Luxembourg, and, and Europe in general, if this is the sort of place that is supposedly marking the trail for the church to follow, what's going on there? I did a quick search and found our Sunday visitor piece that's not all that old at this point, 
that noted that the German church in the next decade or so is probably going to be forced to give up one-third of all of its properties in Germany because of dwindling membership and revenue. And this is matched, and this is coming from the spokesman for the German Bishops' Conference. It's a fact that church attendance has strongly been reduced with a significant steady decline in priestly vocations and church membership and an increasing loss of financial income. And he goes on to say this isn't affecting just churches, it's affecting monasteries and Catholic charitable institutions and all sorts of other things in closing. Now, you've got the fact that a lot of the churches in Germany are architectural monuments and they're protected, but the press should be asking questions at this point. If Germany and Europe is playing such a crucial role in the synodal process, I mean, the Relator General is from Luxembourg, not from one of the exploding, growing churches of Africa, for example. What's going on in Europe? What's the status of the church in Europe, as opposed to Africa and Asia and other parts of the world, which are more traditional in their approach to Catholic faith? And then the other question that I, I would ask, because people are going to ask it again, I'm reading a lot of stuff, kind of people chattering about this latest trip by Francis to the hospital for what they said was kind of like normal intestinal surgery. A lot of people are asking, okay, what is the status of the Pope? And this is a Pope who has in the past sort of suggested that he might follow the late Pope Benedict and kind of retire early and let someone who is strong and up to heavy lifting carry on. At this point, Will the press actually investigate the current status and health of Pope John Paul II? And when that normally happens, you begin to say, okay, who are the likely candidates to be favored to be the next pope by the two wings of the church, call them the doctrinally progressive and the doctrinally orthodox, to echo language from James Davison Hunter long ago in his book Culture Wars. If Francis is weakening, who's actually in charge? And I would add, what about the statements that someone like Cardinal Holerick is a very likely candidate to be put forward as the next pope? And if that's the case, what else has this man said? What has he said? And I'm not talking scuttlebutt here. I'm talking public interviews, documents from his church, radio, etc. And of course, his brother bishops in a related nation like Germany. So those would be my three questions. But if Europe is at the center of this whole thing, in what's supposed to be a global synod, where all the church will be recognized and respected, why are Europeans in charge? And are things going all that well in their own pulpits, pews, and at their altars. So how does a reporter ask the question about what authority this meeting will have, or this meeting's conclusions, and we'll have to wait two years at least, for the meeting's second part to conclude, but 
how do you go about asking that in a way that gets a, an answer the average person can understand? Yeah, good question. I'm going to try to answer that. Let me, not to raise any neo-pagan suggestions here, let me tr try to channel Clementi Lisi, our Catholic expert at Get Religion. Let me try to give you my suggestion of what he would say. I think he would say that a document like this Instrumentum Laboris, which got some coverage here, that that's an important document and that we should see lots of coverage of it and we should see what Catholic voices around the world are saying about that document, not just what the Vatican press office is saying, not just what the leaders of the church in Europe and another declining country, Italy, what they're saying about this. And how do you do that? Well, it's time for mainstream reporters to start reading widely in the Catholic press. From the left side of the spectrum, such as the Jesuit publication America, on over into the conservative wire services. Because the Catholic press is going to parse this document and is going to give their suggestions from different angles, left, right, and center, like a, a publication like Crux, I would put in the center, they're going to talk about this document. Well, I think it's time for the mainstream reporters, especially at elite publications, the Associated Press and elsewhere, to start creating a research folder on what the Catholic press is saying about this very first crucial document. That would be the starting point. Do that homework now. And Ross Douthat, the Catholic columnist for the New York Times, made a statement over a year ago, as old as I am, it might have been two years by now, and he said, you know, at some point you have to start reading the radical conservative Catholic press, if only because it turns out they're right about 90% of the time. Now, that's the statement of a doctrinally conservative Catholic writer who happens to work for the New York Times. But I would say the same thing about the far left and the far right. That's exactly where I would go right now and try to find out what they're saying about this document and noting the landmines of doctrine, discipline, and pastoral care that are alluded to in that document. For example, permanent deacons, women still at the altar, women serving communion, women performing marriages, women with full rights to preach, even that form of diaconate would still be a radical change in the discipline of the church, and some would say would imply changes in doctrine about roles of women and men in the church. This last weekend, we had Archbishop Salvatore yes. Cordelione speak at our Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, and uh, an attendee actually had a question before him asking about his reaction to Pope Benedict and seeming to go soft on some of these issues in some of his public remarks. And he was very careful to respond. If I remember his response correctly, he said, in essence, on paper, Francis is almost indistinguishable on these issues from his predecessors. But when he gets in front of the press, his offhand or off-the-cuff remarks right. inevitably call those things into question. So is it worth asking the Pope what he plans on for this beyond the, the statement that he made in October 2020? 
Well, yes, you also have to look at his symbolic actions. This is the same pope that sent a letter of congratulations and encouragement on the ministry of the people who were organizing a conference, I believe last weekend, maybe a little bit over a week ago, at Fordham University, which openly challenged the church's teachings on everything that had to do with homosexuality, gender, etc. So he keeps writing. I mean, this, was this written right as he came out of surgery? I mean, how was it this happen? That's a symbolic action. Now, it doesn't mean he's changed his stance on doctrine, but it certainly implies that he wants to continue to offer this friendly, welcoming face to the Catholic left. And then remember that statement from Holerich when he says, let me read it again, it is time for a fundamental revision of church teaching, that's doctrine, teaching, and the way in which Pope Francis has spoken of homosexuality could lead to a change in doctrine. I think at this point, if that's the man running the synod, the press might want to take his word seriously. What do you expect personally from this? Is this, in fact, what we discussed earlier, is this intended to be a shadow Vatican III, not making liturgical reform, but actual doctrinal and moral reform yeah quote-unquote reform in the Roman Catholic Church? No. I'm expecting this to proceed in a way that some would say is Anglican in nature. Historically, Anglicans have said, we are united by the words of doctrine and the words of our liturgies, but we don't have to agree about what the words mean. So united so you don't change the doctrines, you don't change the liturgies. People are free, people in different parts of the country are free to interpret them in different ways. So my question back to what I said earlier about Germany, what has the Pope done about the actual documents approved by the bishops of Germany? Has he behind the scenes shut them down? Has he, behind the scenes, affirmed them? Has he said, bad strategy, guys, wait for the Senate? At that point, we, we really need to look at his actions. Will Pope Francis discipline anyone in church leadership who speaks out against the doctrine and discipline of the church? Or will he just kind of say, folks, everything's on the table we're not going to try to change doctrine, but if along the way we change how you pastorally relate to your people, that's not a change in doctrine. That's just a change in pastoral strategy or practice. So I'm expecting him to leave the doctrines in place, but I'm expecting absolutely nothing to happen to the more liberal churches of Europe and elsewhere that decide they want to act as if the doctrine has already changed and proceed with different pastoral practices. In fact, some of those people might get cheery, joyful, handwritten notes from the Pope thanking them for their efforts. 
Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He is founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.